your Bibles, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 2. For these past um, several months, this fall season, we've been following the prophet Elijah, um, First and Second Kings. He's a ninth century prophet, so when you're on that side of the cross, um, ninth century means like the 800s on that side of history. His name, um, Yah, is El, El, Elijah, means that Yahweh is God, and he is a prophet sent to Israel to show that this is the true God, the one true living God. We don't know anything about him. He comes on the scene out of nowhere. We don't know anything about his family. Um, maybe have a geographical reference. We don't know his story before he just comes on the scene. And um, we're told biographical details of other um, persons in the cross of scriptures, but for Elijah, he's a man of mystery. But this was such, in many ways, the ministry of the Old Testament prophets. What, what do they do? Why, why were they sent? God gave the law to Moses to establish a people unto himself, a people of his own possession, the apple of his eye. And yet, because of the nature of sin that we talked about last week, we always wander and go our own ways. And so the prophets, God had established covenant with his people. The prophets are spent or sent to confront God's people, call them back to covenant faithfulness. Often speaking to evil and, and calling out sin. And so who wants that job? Jeremiah didn't want it. Jonah lamented it. Yeah, so many prophets are like, Lord, I just wish this had just not come to me. And so in this divided kingdom of Israel where his people are divided, you have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. In this divide, what does God send? Not community organizers to put it back together. He sends prophets to speak the word of God. And in these days, um, we need to hear the word of God. And we will, we will navel gaze and we'll kind of get into the grind of everyday life. And even though we know God is sovereign over history, we've got to get our eyes up off of ourselves to see what is God doing so that I can now be more faithful to him in this day. And that's what prophetic ministry is. I don't, I don't believe that there are quote-unquote prophets today. Um, that's an office of the church. That's a foundation of the church with the prophets and the apostles. But there's prophetic ministry happening today where the word of God is spoken in the power of the Spirit. This is the episodes of Elijah's ministry recorded in Holy Scripture. He comes as a man of mystery in 1 Kings 17 and predicts a drought because of the people's unfaithfulness. This is God's judgment coming with famine. He then flees to the brook, is cared for miraculously by God through ravens who bring him um, food each day as he drinks the brook. That then dries up and he goes to a Gentile woman's house and is provided for her when the oil and the, the flour never, in, they just keep going out and that's an endless supply there to the widow. He raises her son from the dead when he dies. After three and a half years, he comes back on the scene, confronts King Ahab, um, and challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest on Mount Carmel. 
And God answers by fire, tremendous victory. But Jezebel, in her anger, um, fumes at Elijah and he flees, runs for miles upon miles. And in 1 Kings 19, we find Elijah underneath the broom tree, depressed. The Lord, would, he really has no words to say. He cares for him, um, sustains him, and then sends him and calls him to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, where God had met Moses. He calls him back to his calling. So he goes and, and calls um, Elijah to be a prophet alongside him to assist. 1 Kings 21, he confronts Ahab after Naboth was killed and his land was seized so that Ahab could have his vineyard to turn into a vegetable garden. 2 Kings 1, his son Ahaziah had fallen and injured himself and Elijah says, you're not going to get well. And once again, we see fire coming down from heaven. Today, the fire takes him up from heaven, up to heaven. Elijah has called down fire from heaven several times in his ministry on Mount Carmel. Um, thereupon, the prophets or the messengers who came from King Ahaziah, he's been a man of prayer with a nature like ours who's called down fire, but now the fire is coming for him to take him up to heaven. And this is where we come to this day, 2 Kings chapter 2. We will read the first 18 verses of God's holy word this morning. That when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to go as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and as the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were in Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry land. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire 
separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not sin. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send. And they sent therefore 50 men. And for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho and said to him, did I not say to you, do not go? We'll pause there for today. This is God's word. This is the last episode of Elijah's life here on earth, or so we think. And this is not the last time Elijah appears in the scriptures. He's going to appear in the very last chapter of the Old Testament. As the prophet Malachi says that in the last days, um, Elijah will return. He's going to appear upon the, the conversations and the, the, the hubbub of like, who is John the Baptist? Who is this Jesus? Is this Elijah returned? He's going to appear on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, with Moses, and speak to Jesus. But today's passage, in this dramatic departure, he, he dramatically leaves in a glorious um, flame of fire in the chariots of God. So our consideration for this morning are going to be three. Our numbered days, devoted discipleship, and our spiritual inheritance. We're going to look at our numbered days, devoted discipleship, and our spiritual inheritance. And my, really my question is, what do we really want? I can go through this, and it'll be a Sunday school lesson, and we can talk about what happened and learn more about the scriptures. But the question we really need to ask is, like, what do we want? What do we want to see? What do we want, what do we want to have? Elijah's called down fire from heaven. He's now taken up into heaven by fire. Our numbered days. Our days are numbered. Today, since my birthday, back in 1973, today is my, I've lived 17,117 days. You can go on online. There's like calculators. You can put all this. How many days between this day and that day? Over, just over 17,000 days I've lived. How many more days do I have? 
I, can't, I, I can make plans for the future. Well, I've got a date to get out of town with my bride here in a few weeks. I'm planning to go to Phoenix to visit my brother in December, making plans for the future. But tomorrow is not guaranteed. I do not know what tomorrow will bring. And what is my life? I'm just a mist that appears for a little while, and then I vanish. We're not guaranteed a long life. Death is a guarantee, and death may come suddenly. The life expectancy in the United States is 78.7 years old, according to 2018 stats. Both of my parents are 78 years old, right there. This is an average, 78, it's an average because people who have been younger have died. You have gone through the funerals of friends who've been much younger than 78. Some of you have buried children. Life is not guaranteed. Death can come suddenly. Our days are numbered and only the Lord knows the sum of them. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. When he was 31 years old, the fiery John, or Charles Spurgeon preached this. 31 years old. Death is much nearer to us than we think. To those of you who have passed 50 or 60 or 70 of years of age, it must of necessity be very near. To others of us who are in the prime of life, it is not far off. For I suppose that we are all conscious that time flies more swiftly with us than it ever did. The years of our youth seem to have been twice as long as the years that we are now living. It was but yesterday that the buds began to swell and burst, and now the leaves are beginning to fall, and soon we shall be expecting to see old winter taking his accustomed place. The, the years whirl along so fast that we cannot see the months which, as they are, are the spokes of the wheel. The whole thing travels so swiftly that the axle therefore grows hot with speed. We are flying as some with mighty eagle's wings swiftly on to eternity. Let us then talk about preparing to die. It is the greatest thing we have to do. And we have soon to do it. So let's start to talk and think about it. Preparing to die. He was 31 years old. And we think of Spurgeon, this big, and he's got a good righteous beard. At age 57, he died. Of rheumatism and gout and Bright's disease. And yet in this very quote, it's like two decades, he's like 50 or 60 or 70 years old. You don't know when that day will come. Our days have numbered, and the Lord only knows the sum of them. How would you live today differently if today was your last day? What would we do differently if today was our last day? Are you ready for the last day? I know, Derek, I got to get a will together. I want to get my finances in order better. But are you ready to meet God? On this day in our text, this is the last day of Elijah's life on earth. 
Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. This was Elijah's last day on earth. Elijah knew it. Elisha knew it. The sons of the prophets knew it. And nobody's really talking about it. Just keep quiet. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you not know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. That repeats in verse 5 at their next stop. Now, he will not die with the shutting down of body systems and the stopping of his heart. He will be taken up to heaven by a whirlwind, by chariots of fire and horses of fire. But what would you do different today if this was your last day? What would your approach be to today? We wouldn't rush it. We wouldn't be so quickly to get to tomorrow because there would be no tomorrow. We would really look people deep in the eye. We would really make calls to loved ones if we couldn't get to them physically. What is Elijah doing on this last day? He's visiting the different companies of prophets in the different towns. Its journey itself is symbolic. From Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. And as we read our Bibles, we realize we've just done a reverse course of what Joshua did in taking people to the promised land. This is the reverse course of the conquest. They had crossed the river into, through a baptism just reminiscent of going through the Red Sea. They destroyed Jericho. They had the battle of Ai and Bethel. They encamped at Gilgal, and it was there that they placed up 12 stones to remember what the Lord had done and promised. Baptism, battle, and blessing was this journey of conquest. And please see this theme all through the scriptures of baptism, battle, and blessing. Jesus is baptized. He goes in the wilderness and battles. He battles in his ministry. He battles to the cross and has now received the blessing of God the Father. You who follow Jesus, are you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Welcome to the battle. This battle is the entirety of our life until we receive our blessing. But this blessing, it just keeps inbreaking even into our hearts now. It's not just all future. It's in breaking now presently. But there's a future inheritance that we will receive. It is good for us to remember the story of God in our lives and in the history of God's people. This is his last day of earthly life for Elijah. He knew it. So did Elisha. So did the company of the prophets. We do not know when our last day will be. And so this should spur us on to how we live this day. Please, do not just set your hope. I mean, it's natural for our hearts to always be looking forward to the weekend, to a vacation, to a holiday. I have 17,117 days I've lived on this earth. I had nine months as my mom carried me around. There's many of those days I can go back and vividly recount to you. But how many of those days are just ordinary days that just kind of get lost in the shuffle? And yet they were each a gift of God. 
How then should we live today? Elijah is continuing in his call, even in the discipleship of Elisha, for the continuance of the prophetic ministry. Devoted discipleship. Remember in 1 Kings 19 when the Lord told Elisha to go call Elisha to succeed him. Remember he went from Mount Horeb to Abel Mahola, somewhere in the Jordan Valley River Valley. Without a GPS, just kind of went and found him and called him. And, and what was Elisha doing? This bald-headed man just plowing the fields with 24 oxen. And Elijah cast his cloak on him, called him, said, you're going to be clothed with the Spirit now unto a new calling to be a prophet for God's people. And Elijah gave farewell with a feast to his family and friends. And how did he do it? Did he hedge his bets? No, he burned up all of his instruments of his trade. All the farming tools he burned as an offering to the Lord. And then he smoked the meat of the oxen and threw a feast for his family and friends. There's no going back. He's going to follow Elijah now. And Elijah arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. He was now going to put his hand to the plow of prophetic ministry. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Man, you just want to look over the shoulder, don't you? This was not only assisting Elijah, but learning him. And this is discipleship. Some of you know that a disciple is a learner. But please, especially some of us who are just so wired in educational models, that discipleship is not a set curriculum with a scope and sequence. And that then makes a disciple. A disciple is one who learns a person. It's life on life. Following, observing, imitating, becoming like. Well, Derek, I don't know about this. Aren't we all individuals? Yes, there is no one exactly like you. And even if you're a twin, like I've got in my family, you may be DNA-like, you're very different. I can tell you. Not from here, I won't. I'll get in trouble. We are all individuals. We are all learners. And we're all interacting with one another, both negative influences and positive examples. We are not who we are in a vacuum. We have been shaped by those that have been in and around our lives. We resemble who we revere. We become like who we love. We try not to like to be, we don't want to be like other people, but we do want to be like these people. So discipleship is the life-on-life life learning of the faith. Sociology, psychology, these will just say how these influences work in just the common population. But discipleship is the life-on-life life learning for the faith. Jesus calls us to be disciples, and he commands us to make disciples. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul told the church in Corinth. He told Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach it to other men. 
Paul is making a disciple of Timothy. Timothy, go find some faithful men. And then those men can find other men. And that's life on life generations. Psalm 145, we will not, we will tell your works from one generation to the next. Who have been your primary disciple makers in your life? My question, but really, who have you learned Christ from? Is the real question. Isn't it curious that the Bible does not record many interactions of Elisha following Elijah in discipleship? How did this grumpy prophet, you know, the one who's depressed under the broom tree, kind of just he gets his grump on onto Mount Horeb, and like comes on down? How did he actually disciple him? We're not told. We only see the initial call, and now we're going to see the departure. But in between these, Elisha has been following. He's been assisting. He's been observing. He's been imitating. He's been becoming like Elijah. From village to village, there is a repeated interaction. Elijah said to Elisha, no, no, please stay here. For the Lord has sent me as far as, and then he'll either to Bethel, and then to Jericho, and then to the Jordan. And then every time Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I will not leave you. And they keep journeying together. Discipleship is learned out, lived out faith. So what is Elijah doing here? Is he just trying to, he needs his introvert time? Like, just leave me alone? Because if it's that, I can feel that. More so, he's probably testing Elisha to see if he would remain close on this last day. And Elijah, Elisha passed. He was determined to be by his side because he knew the Lord was getting ready to take him. He just had to be close to his master. He knew that the time was short. So there's a determination, a stubbornness in the following. This is lived out faith that we go life on life. There's got to be a determination to it. And one day in John chapter 6, after a miraculous feeding of the thousands, the, the multiplication of fish and loaves, Jesus said that he's the bread from heaven. Then he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in him. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Imagine you just sold everything, you follow him, and he drops that. What? Eat your flesh, drink your blood? Yeah. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It was a hard teaching. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Isn't that the way of discipleship after Christ? Well, this is going to be a fun journey. Now we need an adventure. I'll follow Jesus. And then he drops hard truths, things that just counter your way of thinking. And he says, you're going you're to keep coming? You're going to stay close? You're going to be determined? And some didn't. They turned away. God bless Peter. Just, 
He just felt kind of constrained. He felt kind of captured. Like, where else am I going to go? Like, I cannot not follow you. And so Elisha was determined to follow Elijah. And this is unto a spiritual inheritance. What was the last stop on the day? The Jordan River. Generations before, God's people had crossed the Jordan to receive the promised land. Remember when Joshua is readying the folks, and then the, the priests step into the river with the Ark of the Covenant? And once that, the, the, the manifest presence of God there manifests in that Ark, except in the river, it's separated. And they walk through on dry land. Moses would lift the staff and the Red Sea parted. To pass through the waters is to be delivered to a new life. Man, there's so much. Going through the waters is a picture of going through to new life, to be born again. And so God is birthing a nation through the Red Sea, and yet they were obstinate, heart of heart. He's going to birth this nation into the promised land through the Jordan. It's a baptism through waters. Jonah, I'm going to go the other direction, God. No, you're going to go into the waters, the mouth of a fish. I'm going to spit you out. And that's going to be the, the sign of Jonah, three days in the fish that Jesus comes to fulfill. From death to life. Israel passed through the Jordan River to receive an earthly inheritance, the promised land. But now Elijah's going in reverse to receive a greater land, a heavenly inheritance to take possession of his heavenly reward. Elijah took the cloak, rolled it up, struck the waters, and the water was parted from one side to the other till the two could go over on dry land. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you because I, before I am taken from you. Blank check invitation. I'm the prophet of God. I call down fire from heaven. What do you want from me? And what would we have asked for? I love this. Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. It's a bold request. It's a wise request for such days. As evil is progressing and getting worse and worse with each successive king, we're going to need more power in the prophetic ministry. It's like, I've seen... I've followed you, Elijah, and I've seen what you can do. May the Lord just double it on me. Wanting a double portion. Wanting seconds. That's a bold request. Especially when my wife's been in the kitchen all day, and my kids, my large family, is like, one seconds. It's a free-for-all. Who's going to be bold enough to ask for it? Is, is Elijah just wanting to be double the man Elijah was? The biblical scholars will show that Elisha's ministry actually last, lasted about twice as long as Elijah's. He performed nearly twice as many miracles. But that's not the point. He's not trying to be double the man. That's not the heart of his request. At the heart of his request is to be treated as Elijah's firstborn son. According to Old Testament law, the oldest son had a right to a double portion of the father's property. 
So when a man died, his legacy was divided into equal shares, but then the oldest son got a double share. Nathan's like, yes. And like, dad's a pastor. <laughs> um, he was his disciple, but now he's asking to be a spiritual son. His, his earthly father was Shaphat. Abel Mahola down there in the Jordan River Valley. But he's asking Elijah to be his spiritual father. So at its best, this life-on-life discipleship of learning the faith through close life together, my contention is that all through the Scriptures, it's always in the context and the terminology of family. It's always in family. This was my... This is, this was my thesis for my doctor of ministry a couple years ago. I just got overwhelmed when I'm just reading the New Testament. And Jesus says, go make disciples of all the nations. All right, we got our charges. Let's do it. And then they start to do it in the Old Testament, in the, through the book of Acts. But then once we get past Acts, none of these apostles use the word disciple. Are we making disciples? Because you don't ever talk about discipleship or discipling. Did Peter and Paul and John fail the Great Commission? No. They saw it in terms of family. They made disciples upon disciples, but they always viewed them as true children in the faith. I I can give you so many examples and all of those different apostles, but this is the one where we circled for a season as a church years ago. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul talks about being like a nursing mother. I'm like, Paul, that's weird language. He's like a nursing mother. He's like a father. This is a true child in the faith. He's my true son. Even Peter calls Mark my son. Mark my son. They're always using this family language to describe discipleship. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. And my contention is that in this day of the church, in the ways we've institutionalized it, in the ways we're running as an organization, in the way we've programmed it out, in the ways that we've got publishing companies, in the ways there's just podcasts and books everywhere, we have countless guides. But do we have spiritual fathers and mothers? And so when I said, who were your primary disciple makers in your life? Was it a peer who kind of spurred you on? Like a Timothy and Silas who went together side by side? Or are there been spiritual fathers and mothers who've been in your life? We can talk about the absence. We can talk about the broken American family. We can talk about the absence of fathers. But it's right here in the church. Are we living, American church, are we living with spiritual fathers and mothers to raise up spiritual children in their faith? Discipleship is lived out as spiritual family. This is the grand vision. This is everyday ministry that we may no longer be children, Ephesians 3.14, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, Colossians 1. And though he was the biological son of Shaphat, Elisha loves Elijah as a spiritual father, the one who called him, readied him, and blessed him for prophetic service unto God. And he wants a double portion. 
He's just asking to be a son. What gave, give me a double portion of your spirit. Well, where does Elijah's spirit come from? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down upon saints of old. Not upon all the people, but upon different offices. For the artisans who created the, the tabernacle. For upon kings, upon prophets. And he said, I want a double portion. And so my question is, like, what do we want? Well, we learned a little bit more about, all right, I didn't know that. That was maybe a reverse thing about going the conquest. That was interesting geographically. That's fine. But what do we want? Do we want, a, do we want a greater portion of God's Holy Spirit? Do we want to know his presence and power not just a mere confession of head knowledge, but just an experiential knowledge of God's presence with us and power for everyday living. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The problem is not the Father's stinginess. The problem is we're not asking for the right things. You've asked a hard thing. And, but if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be done for you. If you do not see me, it shall not be done for you. And so as they went and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. Elijah went up into a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah saw it and he cried, My father, my father. See, it's there. He just wanted to be a son, a spiritual son. He's crying out, my father, my father. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. This is spiritual family. This is discipleship. It doesn't always match biologically age-wise, but there is something to be in a, our, our biological maturation in the different seasons of life. May our spiritual maturity match that it's a dangerous thing to be an old man and to be so young in christ but that's fine especially if you come to saving faith late it's a dangerous thing to be an old man and to have not been growing in christ when you've claimed him early on in life so we got to grow up and be mature in christ get into the meat of god's word isn't this interesting that he who called down fire is now taken up in fire in Canaanite worship, who has been the primary false god that Elijah has been battling? It's been Baal, the storm god, the rider on the clouds, the warlike deity of weather. So Baal is always pictured as riding the dark clouds of the storm, thundering in a voice with lightning in his spear, and yet he couldn't answer it when his prophets cried out all day long. Mount Carmel, where were you, Baal? You mighty God, rider of the clouds. Where's your lightning bolt? Just chuck one down. That's all you need. But through his entire prophetic ministry, Elijah is exposing him as a fraud, as a fake, as a powerless idol. It is the Lord God of Israel who is the true God and who has power to command the storms and the armies of heaven. He sent his prophet Elijah to fight against Baal, and he's now fought the good fight. 
His heavenly commander is now calling him home. If we could just get a picture of what's happening in the heavenlies. Our commander who's like commanding armies, angelic forces, and yet the spiritual battles that are being waged about us. Oh, we, would just, we would just be flying. If we could even just have a sense of just the, the reality of that. And yet here on this day, Elisha sees that it's not just been Elijah praying with words. It's been through the prophet Elijah, but there's been spiritual forces that have been battling with this. So chariots of fire come. And so is the old spiritual sings that swing low, sweet chariot, coming forward to carry me home. I looked over the Jordan, and what did I see? Coming forward to carry me home. A band of angels after me, coming forth to carry me home. This image of being carried home, taken home, called home after the end of the battle to the blessing that is ours in Christ. It gives you endurance for the day, no matter what injustice, no matter what sorrow, no matter what strife, no matter what evil we face this day. Who else was taken up in the clouds? There's one who came to us from heaven, God in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. How could this be? The creator becomes creature. God becomes with us, like us. We're the sinful ones. We deserve his wrath. We deserve his judgment. And yet Christ comes and lives the perfect life as our example. But we can't live up to this example. He lives this perfect life as our sacrifice. Because he is judged for our sin by dying on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, just as he said he would. And like Elijah, he was taken up in the clouds. Why do you stand there looking? He will come back one day on the clouds. Don't expect Baal to kind of come right on. No, Christ will come with the armies of heaven on the clouds. And he will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Matthew 24. So what do you want? Do you believe this good news for your salvation? Or are you going to figure it out on your own? I don't know if you got it tomorrow. But if you're not sure of tomorrow, are you sure of today that you could go and meet God and have peace of salvation and eternal life with Him? What are you going to offer? Are you going to offer up all your good works and good intentions and say, look at what I did? There are many that will try to do that, and He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Do you believe this good news of salvation in Christ Jesus alone? Jesus is more than a prophet. He comes with the word of God, but he's also the Savior of sinners and the Lord of all. And so if you believe in Jesus, then the call is to follow him. Follow me is what he says. And it will be hard, but you're going to be learning him. Not a church program, not a church institution. We've got to learn Christ together and then live that out together in spiritual family.
Out on our sign on the front yard, it says, shine the light of Jesus in knowing and following him. I don't know how we do that apart from God's spirit. And as I feel like, as I feel like the, the evil is progressing in our day, it's always, there's nothing new under the sun. We see cycles, but it just feels darker. It feels like there's more happening. So we got to get bold enough to ask like Elisha, like, Lord, would you give us a double portion of your spirit? And what you've done in previous generations, all praise to you. We're grateful for the Elijahs who've come before us. But can we be an Elisha generation? It says, God, give us a double portion. And so we, do we desire a filling of the Holy Spirit to know his presence and power? The Holy Spirit is, the, is a person of the triune God. And Father, we can relate concepts to. Jesus incarnate, we can think through. But the Holy Spirit is often so mysterious and unknown and neglected. And Holy Spirit, forgive us for grieving you. For not knowing your presence with us. Shaping us to become more conformed to the image of Christ. Lord, make us Elisha's, continue your work in these days in the power of your spirit, even through us, your people. Let's pray.